here real quick. Snap, who's, who's got drinks? <laughs> Sounds delicious. Um, well, first, Dan, thank you very much. Um, the last time I got to deliver uh, some sermoned thoughts on the scripture, I think was maybe 10, 12 years ago. Uh, I got to speak to, yeah, it's been that long. They finally tricked somebody into letting me back up. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I was speaking to a youth group at the church I was working at, and I was talking about Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus, how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. And this girl raised her hand and goes, well... My mom says that there are more ways to get to heaven than Jesus. And I said, well, the Bible says your mom is wrong. <laughs> and then they, uh, I, didn't get to, I didn't get to talk again. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it was because of what I said. Maybe it was the delivery, you know. So the Lord has, the Lord has, worked, has worked in me since, since that time. Uh, and so I'm very excited to share with you. And... Um, and I've been thinking, like, what kind, what, what kind of preacher do I want to be, you know? What kind of speaker am I going to be? Because I've been in a lot of different church environments. Like, you know, should I, should I keep a hanky with me? Like, am I going to shout, spit, and sweat? Like, that's a possibility. Um, you know, I, I didn't wear a suit, so somebody's going to be disappointed. But I also didn't wear my skinny jeans. So I figure if I can offend both ends, I'm probably good in the middle. Uh, but I do know, I think I know what kind of preacher I'll be today. I'm, I'm going to be a weepy one. Because every time I go through this, like, I always tear up. And I, the same thing happens to me when I sing. When I get into Jesus, when I get into the word of Jesus, like, inevitably, this happens to me in movies and stories and songs. Like, if something is really true, like, to the bone true, it just makes me cry. Uh, and I heard a powerful testimony this morning in Sunday school, Bible school, adult discipleship, um, and it started already, you know, so uh, I'm certain that's going to happen. Uh, so I want to start with this slide right here. Stay close to God. Trust in him. He will do it. Okay. This is going to come back to us. Stay close to God. Trust in him. He will do it. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in different regions of the United States. Uh, this has allowed me to meet lots of people, taste lots of food. I like food. Uh, and then also to like sample the different cultures that sort of cobble together our country. I, um, I'm from the Central Plains. I grew up in Kansas City. This platform is constricting. I'm going to back up a little bit. I like to walk. Um, I grew up in the Central Plains, right? I, I grew up in Kansas City. And while Kansas City is like one of the largest metro areas in a three-state region, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, uh, it still has a very fundamental root in a rural culture, right? Like crops and cattle, that's what comes through Kansas City. And, uh, and, th and there's something about that, that that's just like in the bones of even 
you know, the Fortune 500 businesses that take up residency there. And, um, and that's what my family was raised on. You know, I, I grew up backstage. Uh, my dad's a musician. My mom's an artist. Like, I, there was no hope for me. Uh, <laughs> But they're also blue-collar folks, you know. My dad works with industrial batteries. My mom is a member of the local steel workers union. Like, that's just, it was this odd dichotomy. So I grew up backstage. I grew up in rehearsals. I grew up around musicians and the arts. But I also grew up, like, in the cattle barn at the county fair because that's, my family was raising cattle. And my, my grandfather and my uncles and my cousins, they all had steers and pigs and goats, you know. It's like... The, that was, that was my world, this culmination of these two things. And um, so family was very important. Uh, hard work was really important. But maybe for that culture, one of the things that, and I think this like crystallized for me a few years ago uh, in a conversation with a, with a buddy of mine, maybe the most important value is self-reliance. Doing for yourself what you can do for yourself and maybe, just maybe, asking for help if you really need it, right? And this is like, this, these are the people of the plains. This is the way it is, right? Like, there's a joke in Music Man, right? They're talking about the people of Iowa. It's like, I'll give you my shirt if you ask for it, and, but really you should probably take care of it yourself, right? Like, it's... And that's, that's like, that's in my bones. My wife is always, God bless her, she's a godsend to me. She's like, well, this seems like a difficult situation. Why don't you ask for help? Right? I'm like, I, I, I can't, like, I can't, I can't get that into my head. So the Lord has, has worked that out in my heart. Uh, and that's the culture, right? That's what I was raised on. Crops, cattle, self-reliance, biscuits and gravy. And then we moved. For seven years, we lived in, a, in what I'd call an adjacent culture, a culture that's very similar, but it is also very different. We moved into the Southern culture. We went from Kansas City to Oklahoma City, which are very similar. And then we went to Richmond, Virginia. We were there for three to four years. When we got to Richmond, Virginia, people were like, hey, y'all, welcome to the South. <laughs> yeah. And then we left Richmond, Virginia and went to Birmingham. And they said, welcome to the real South. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and... And those two places were also still very similar. Uh, even geographically, they're like 1,500 miles apart. Uh, but the culture was, was very similar. Uh, there's a strong sense of family, again, but in a different way. Uh, in, the, in the Deep South, there's this, there's this thing about honor, family honor, my name, my heritage, where I come from, what that means, and how that's like portrayed in public and because of those things that like that vertical understanding of family and heritage there's another kind of independence that's there as well in the midwest it's self-reliance here it's more like uh uh it, the best way to describe it is like an independent sense of honor right and in the best cases it's really really amazing it, it is really beautiful could you imagine a, a family or a community, a culture where you have all of the means and resources necessary to dramatically affect everyone around you. I mean, absolutely, humbly pour out everything you've got 
and just change the lives of folks around you. This is possible in the South, like in a remarkable way. Uh, and, and yet, this sort of separatedness of families and honor, more often than not, turns into an us's and a them's's, right? Well, we are the winters, and we don't do that, and we don't go there, and we don't talk to them, right? And then there's this wide and visible disparity. So where it could be amazing, and people just give their lives away because they've got such great abundance, instead they reserve it for themselves. And there's this, there's this brokenness in the culture, again, on this vertical and independent plane. And now we're here. Now we've moved to Connecticut. We've moved to this beautiful place. Uh, you know, it's gorgeous. Like your summer is like an extended spring. It's been spring in my life for the last six or seven months. It's awesome. Uh, I'm waiting for winter to come and I'm going to rejoice as well because I know spring is coming. Uh, but it's 110 degrees in Oklahoma City right now. And it's 98 degrees and 150% humidity in Alabama. And I don't want any of that. Praise God he brought us here. You know, it's so beautiful. It's beautiful. There are beaches to walk and there are mountain trails to hike and forests to be in. And there's this community here. We walked right into this community that is, that is strong and like fiercely loyal you know, it's, a, it's amazing. Uh, in, it, here in New England, it's really easy to tell who's on your side and who is not. <laughs> you know, when folks are on your side, it's really good, you know. Uh, and, and there's a, a frankness that I really appreciate. Now, in the South, if you wanted somebody's good opinion, if you wanted, their, if you wanted feedback, it's almost impossible to get it, Right? There's this kind of politeness, is what it's called, but really it's just lying, you know? Uh, and I know I've got friends who are going to listen to this, and I'm calling you out. You know the truth. Uh, and you say, hey, what do you think about this? This is how it works. What do, you, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing this. They go, oh, that is so good for you. Bless your heart. That's how you know it is not a compliment, right? Any sentence followed with, bless your heart. That's not polite. They don't, you know, if you know what they're saying, that's when you just go like, log that away, right? Now, I'm from the Plains. I'm from the Midwest, okay? And there, uh, what I like to say is that a dose of uncomfortable honesty can save you a lot of trouble, right? The Plains are this really strange place. There's like nothing out there. Nothing is going on. Between Kansas City and Denver, it's just like flat, a few hills, and then flat again. Right? And you can make a bad decision in that region that affects literally thousands of acres of land, your family, the families around you, all of your food. Right? Like it's, a, it's a dangerous place to make a bad decision. And so folks will tell you, if you ask, I'm thinking about moving this over here. God bless the people from the Midwest. They'll just go, that's dumb. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not smart. You know? And it's with no malice, with no malice, it's just an honest answer, right? And here in New England, you don't even have to ask for people's opinions. (laughs) 
they'll just give them right to you and sometimes they're helpful. <laughs> but there is a beautiful thing here in the people here. Um, and maybe it was developed over time, like generations of cold winters, maybe. That's what it is. Maybe, maybe it was planted here from our parents or our grandparents or our great-grandparents, right? Someone in your family was like, I'm leaving this place, I'm getting on a boat, and I'm going over there where I have nothing and I'm going to succeed, right? And that's like, that's here. That's, that's sewn into us, right? The very first member of my family's name came in 1892 with an awesome beard. I can't grow it. But left, left what would become Germany, got on a boat, moved to the United States, and then went into the, like, the foothills of Missouri and was like, we're going to succeed. You know, there's something about that, something really beautiful about that. I mean, and we even, we even joke about that here at Trinity a little bit as a way to honor our heritage. You know, we sort of talk about our stiff Nordic upbringing, our, our Swiss stoicism, you know, our, our Swedish strength. Like it's, it's here in the culture of our church. There's a strength, there's an independence and a self-reliance that I can really see and I can relate to. Right? It's something that I recognize as a, as a value from childhood, and I see it here. But Oswald Chambers reminds us in his writings that an unguarded strength is actually a double weakness. Because this is the place where the least likely of temptations will actually be effective in sapping our true strength. Right? The thing that you don't feel like you've got to worry about, that's actually where you can get tripped up. Right? So today we're going to bring ourselves to Psalm 91. We're going to bring ourselves to the still, cool waters of the word. And we're going to let it wash over us. We're going to let it renew our minds today, nourish our souls, and strengthen our affections to God. So I'd like to pray for us before we read this scripture. Can I do that real quick? All right, Jesus, we come to your word, Lord, because we know that you've given it to us for the edification of our souls, the challenging of our hearts, and the strengthening of our spirits, so that it may not be said of us, their spirit is willing, but the body is weak. God, we pray that you would draw us up into you in such a way that when we are called upon, that we would be strong and ready for the moment, that we would be prepared, that we would have an answer in all things, and that that answer would be you, Lord Jesus. Be with us as we hear this text. Work in our hearts. Guard me as I preach, Lord God, and, um, and help our family here at Trinity to judge by the Spirit and judge rightly. Amen. All right. Do me a favor. We're not going to pull it up because I want you to reach into the pews in front of you. I want you to grab a Bible. I want you to put your hands on it. I want you to open it up. I want you to flip pages and go to Psalm 91. 
If it's faster to use your phone, that's fine. But there is this, I don't know if you've ever heard it, there's this beautiful sound of hundreds of Bible pages turning. Like it sounds like angel wings, you know? It's just so, I can't wait, I can't wait to hear this place make that sound. It's coming. And if you prefer to hear and listen, I'll read it to you here. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion, on the adder, the young lion, and the serpent. You will trample underfoot, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in time of trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. This is the promise of the Lord. Stay close to him. Trust in him. He will do it. Now, there's lots of ways to break this passage down. And lots of scholars and theologians have. They get really excited about pulling the words apart and seeing what the translations are and what this word means and how many other verses it's in to get a, a wider grasp of what's being said in these scriptures. That's a great and beautiful study, but there's something very simple about this that I want to share with you, and I hope it encourages you, and it is that the person who wrote this is a person, right? It's in our Bible. We receive it, and we're like, whoa, this is holy, but it came from a person just like you, right? Born, breathed, died. Skin on hands. Just a person. Just a person. Just a plain old skin and bones, dirt to dust person. And at the same time, it's full of worship, it's full of wonder, and it's full of prophecy. Right? Our writer starts out by worshiping. 
So here in verse 2, 91 verse 2, it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I will say to the Lord. And this is exactly what we do, right? Every Sunday we get here and we begin to worship. We, we, uh, or when we're sitting in our car alone, right? Or quietly at night, at the end of the day, we say to the Lord what is true about the Lord, right? Like worship is that. We say to the Lord what is true about the Lord. And he says, you're my refuge. You're my fortress. You are higher than me. You are my God. I put my trust in you. We have been singing songs with these refrains in them for hundreds of years, millennia, right? Uh, You know this one. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing, our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. He is a fortress. He is my fortress. Or this one. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. Our writer breaks out into song, right? A song that we all know, a song that glorifies God. And the next, next thing he does is he goes on reminding himself what God says is true about himself. Oh, excuse me. I am going to need a tissue. Selene, you were right. She, was, she told me, she goes, if you're going to cry, you need a tissue so you don't sniff in the microphone. She's right. She's so right. Um, so in verses 5 through 10... We're told these things, we will not fear unknown terrors, distant attacks, unknown sickness, or overwhelming odds. And that in the midst of chaos and destruction, we will stand and watch as justice is done on our behalf. God does the justice making, right? And this is all because we are inside of, God bless you, the work of the Lord. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, that we will stand inside in you. <laughs> I'd marry that girl. Uh, and, and this is all because this happens because we're hiding inside of God's will, right? This happens because we're hiding inside of God's life, the life that He lived, inside of God's substitution for us, right? He did something, we get to be inside of that substitution, so He does justice on our behalf. We're actually hiding inside of the body and the substance of Jesus, and that in this place, Inside of Jesus, we are safe from all evil and all injuries of this world, right? No plague, it says, no plague will come to your tent. Now, we all know people for whom plagues have visited them. Sickness has visited them. This is where I did have to go break down some words to understand what's happening here. Because in my daily life, like, my sister has a debilitating disease, right? There's sickness in my family. What does this mean? And if you look at the, this word plague, it's like, it's like an injury, a stroke, a stripe, a hit. But it will not have eternal effect, right? So whatever has come to you, whatever has come to your tent today, it will not stay, right? The burdens, I mean, we heard this this morning. Y'all need to go to this adult discipleship class. It was spectacular. Thank you. Um, It will not stay. The burdens of today 
will not stay. This is where the organ plays and everybody goes, amen, right? No organ today, but that's how that works, right? I didn't intend to rhyme, it just happened. Um, so there, no plague will come near your tent. We're going to look at these verses. I think they're already up. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The most high who is my refuge, no evil shall befall you. No plague come near your tent. Can I ask you a question real quick? Does this sound like a good deal to you? Like, is this one you would take on? Right? You bring your fears, your troubles to someone. And you're like, I feel terrified. This is, this is how I feel. I'm just, I'm just confessing to you how I feel. And they go, I got this. I'm going to take care of you so well that none of these things you fear and none of the things you could think of or that you don't know yet are coming, I'm going to make sure they don't touch you. They'll have no lasting effect on you from here until forever. Like that's a deal I would take in a heartbeat. Like, yes, please. Right? I would, uh, well, at least I would, I would say that, Right? I would say, I want that. That's a thing I would do. Like maybe you would say it. Maybe I would say it. Maybe I would say it's so important that you also need to say it. But then maybe when no one was around, maybe as I laid my head on my pillow at night and all of these things come up in my mind, like you forgot that thing at the grocery store. Oh yeah, and also your life could perish, right? Like, these mix of anxieties visit you at nighttime. Like maybe you've got the feeling that uh, you wake up in the morning and you, and you, and you have this, this ache, this little voice, this little gray thing inside of you that's like, you're not even gonna make it to lunch, right? I mean, I, I know I felt that. I've woken up, I've gone into work and I've stood there and I've thought, I'm probably going to be destroyed today as irrational as that is, but it's in there. That little voice is in there. How would you feel if I told you that there is someone powerful enough and loving enough to protect you when literally everything and everyone around you is being wrecked? Would you run to that place? Would you trust your protection to that person? Would you trust him who says... I will take care of you. In the middle of trouble and chaos, I would conclude, I would conclude that it's probably up to me, right? Because I'm a self-reliant, independent kind of person. It's up to me to get out of this mess. Nobody's coming to help. And if anything good, I've I've said this, I've said this. If anything good is gonna come out of this, it's up to me. I'm going to have to do something. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. And that's what happens. Because you see, I'm smart. I'm hardworking. My heritage is made of strong people. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to damage their name or their honor. 
if I can just think of the right solution, then we can come out of this on top because you see, I'm self-sufficient, I'm reliant, I'm independent, I'm in this alone, and if anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna have to be me. See, the thing that most people believe that is wrong, they believe it, even though it's wrong, is that Jesus isn't really trustworthy. And I say that because it's expressed in practice, not in proclamation, right? If Jesus was, if, thank you, if Jesus was trustworthy, then our actions would be different. They just would. And you might be sitting here right now listening to me and thinking like, oh yeah, I know somebody who thinks just like this. I know somebody who thinks just like this. Carol in accounting. Carol needs Jesus. I keep telling Carol every day that she needs Jesus. And Carol just doesn't get it. Her life is a mess. But I want to tell you something. The psalm is not for Carol. The psalm is for us. Right? The psalm is for me because the psalm is for believers, not unbelievers. In the second verse of the psalm, he's worshiping God, right? He is already a believer in Jesus and the psalm is for him. The psalm is for us. So if this is the lie that we are believing, that Jesus is not trustworthy, that he's not good enough for our affections, like on, on some fundamental, fundamental level, like if he's not good enough for our affections, then we have replaced him with something, right? Something is trustworthy enough. And so that's really the question I think that we have to ask. What is, what beautiful image in quotation has the, uh, has the idol of independence replaced, right? What, what has self-reliance put in place in our sight instead of Jesus? Because Jesus is real. He is alive. He is active. He is powerful. He is loving. He sees you. Right now, he sees you, he wants to be near you, and he wants to help, right? Uh, the, the best way I can explain this is, is an experience in my real life, right? My dad has all the tools you would ever need to fix a car. He also has all of the wisdom you would need to fix a car. He's got all of the experience you would need to fix a car. And he's building a garage right now that is the size of a house, Because in my father's house are great, are great things, right? Treasures. And for him, they are his tools, right? Uh, and I moved away in 2001, and I have called my dad from all parts of the United States. Hey, my car's making a funny sound. What do you think that is? And immediately, my dad goes into this list, this analysis, Right? He goes into, he's like, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. If it's A, then you need to go to a mechanic. If it's B, you're probably going to be okay. And if it's C, then that means you probably did something wrong. You need to change your life, right? <laughs> like, that's just like how he, that's how he goes through it. 
right? And he's, he always gives great advice, and he's my dad, and I love him, but he always finishes these conversations like this, same sentence every single time for 15 years. He says, I wish you were closer, buddy, because then I could really help, you know? This is analogous, right? I'm like, I've stepped out of the sermon for just a second. But if in your life, you were having these conversations with your father, right? Hey, dad, I'm on the other side of reality right now. And I've got some issues I'd like to talk to you about. And he goes, well, you can do this. You could do this. You could do this. I love you. I wish you were closer. I could really help. If you were closer, I could really help, right? I think this every time I call my dad about my car, right? Every time, every time. I mean, that's, it's the proximity, right? Verse three, under the shadow of his wings, you will find strength, right? Jesus says this. He says it. It's not just in the Psalms. It's in the New Testament as well. He says, I just want to gather you all to me like a mama hen, like come get under my wings. Let me take care of you. So in the last section of the psalm, we see something really amazing. It's that the writer then begins to prophesy, right? Just a regular person, just a regular person. Talks about how good God is, talks to God what is true about God. Then God reminds him to tell himself what God says is true about him. I will do these things. I'm this kind of God. And then in this place of like worshiping God, focusing on God, something happens. The spirit jumps into this dude in some kind of way. This is, this is pre-Jesus. This is pre-Pentecost, right? The spirit gets on this guy and he starts to prophesy. God begins to speak into the future what is true about what is coming, right? To me, that's amazing. A plain old person worships the Lord, focuses on the Lord, and then the Lord talks to him, through him, into his life. Now, we see this verse, especially 11, verse 11, we see this as like a prophetic utterance about Jesus because this is the same verse that the enemy uses to tempt Jesus, to reveal himself to the world, right? Now, doesn't it say that if you like jump off this building, then God's going to send angels to pick you up? Then everybody's going to know you're the Messiah. This whole thing could be wrapped up and done with, right? So we know this is a prophetic verse about Jesus, but also at the same time, you have to believe that the person who is writing this down on a piece of paper heard this message and was like, that's about me. This verse is about me, right? At the time, Psalm 91, 92, like 90 through 92, at the time this was being written, David's kingdom was in a lot of trouble, right? And you, I mean, you can see this, like look at, look at that order of Psalms, right? And to hear this man goes to God and is like, I'm, you're great. I'm in, a, I'm in a bad place. You're great. God says, don't worry, I'll take care of you. And then God says this prophetic thing, begins to speak to them. You've got to believe that as soon as that pen came off the paper and he read it, he was like, oh, that's for me. God says, when I trip, he's going to hold me up. God says, he's going to send his angels to help me. We know it's about Jesus. This person also thought it was about him. And I'm going to tell you that through Jesus, 
right? Jesus is a son. We are heirs. We are sons and daughters with Jesus when we are in Jesus. This is also for you, right? Don't, don't let God's protection stop at Jesus. It's coming to you. That's why Jesus came, so that it could come all the way to you without any roadblocks. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample them underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is also about us. This is also about those who call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Those who have become sons and daughters of God. Those who, like the psalm writer, are just plain old people. This prophecy is about Jesus who was coming to set his people free. But it is also a promise of God to you. I want you to look at these verses real quick. Um, I got some slides that will come up in order. And I want you to look at who is doing what. This is an encouragement to you, right? Look at who's doing what. Verse 11 says, I will bear you up. You just have to trip on stuff, <laughs> right? If you tr says, if you stub your toe, I will bear you up. Verse 13, I will deliver him. All you have to do is hold on, right? So far, you've tripped over something and grabbed onto the Lord, right? And God is doing this wonderful work of lifting you up and delivering you. Verse 14, I will protect him. All you have to do is know his name, right? Verses 15 through 16, this is where it gets exciting. I will rescue him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him. I will bring salvation. All you have to do is call for help. Look at, look at the two kinds of people in this story, right? One of them has the ability to carry you, deliver you, protect you, rescue you, honor you, satisfy you, and bring you salvation. You have the ability to trip on stuff, grab onto people, call on somebody's name for help. Right? And not only do you have that ability, that's all you have to do. You don't have to do your best and see what he does next. You don't have to be self-reliant and go as far as you can. All you have to do is trip, grab, know, and call. Have you possibly believed that God is too small to trust? Have you believed that God is not good enough or worthy enough to be loved? Have you believed that you are the one responsible for your success? And safety. I know I have. If we have, then we have tragically misunderstood God. We've misunderstood his heart for us. We have judged his character poorly, and we have replaced him in our hearts with something that we have decided to be more trustworthy. Stay close to God, 
Trust in him. He will do it. You're here today because God brought you here to this place, right? He has guided your whole life to this moment so that you can experience his goodness, so that you can know the depths of his love for you, so that you can release the stranglehold that you have on your life and allow him to do it for you, to allow him to hold on for you. So here's the wild part. Here's where a faith like this transforms us into witnesses. You're going to love this. If you choose to continue holding on and holding things together by yourself, maybe you can get some level of fame out of this. Wow, look at him. He's doing so good. Man, she is so strong in spite of everything, right? She's really holding it together. (laughs) So you get a little bit of fame and you get a little bit of glory. Your strength is on display as the... (laughs) chaotic and taxing as life may be, or you can give up control and you can give it over to the Lord. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is is light. He says that because he's the one carrying all the weight. If you can trust in this truth, if you can have as a default position in your soul what the psalmist talks about, then remarkable things will be birthed in your life. There will be a kind of peace. And some mothers in here are like, no peace right now. There's no peace in that. No peace. Um, There will be a kind of peace that overcomes you when things go absolutely crazy. And I've I've mentioned this periodically. My wife almost died last year, right? She had some surprise medical condition, and the doctors really didn't know what was happening. I mean, I sort of figured it out when they figured out what they were trying to say to me, but my wife didn't get it. Like, she believed in Jesus too much to be concerned about maybe dying soon, right? She just didn't understand. They were like, well, you know, this infection is really bad, and She's not responsive to medicine and we can try a surgery, but we don't really know how that's going to go. So dot, 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 they didn't finish the sentence, but I knew what they were saying. They said the same thing to her and she was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, well, that's, those are, that's, that's the case. She's like, well, what you're telling me sounds bad, but we're supposed to have more kids and I can't be dead and have kids. So this doesn't make sense. Jesus, you know, Jesus has shared this with me already. Like she just, she trusted in Jesus too much to be concerned with what the doctors were saying in a way that it affected her present, right? And then, you know, every time she meets, like, please stop, Lord. He sends her to the hospital and she blesses everyone, right? But we have to go to the hospital in order for that to happen. It's not a ministry I would wish on anyone, Right? But then we leave, and they're like, oh, my God, you guys are so nice. Like, why is it? And Jesse just goes, oh, it's Jesus. You know, I would trade that probably. I would trade that ministry for a different one. (laughs) So the only problem with, like, giving over your life to Jesus is that you don't get the credit anymore. Nobody gets to say of you, like, wow, you're so strong. 
Wow, you're so independent. Wow, you really held it all together. What? You don't get that fame. You don't get that glory. But what you do get is a new opportunity, which is to point to Jesus, to share the goodness of the one who gives you peace in situations like this. You get to share Jesus, who's the one who brings peace. You get to be a spokesman for the good one, for the strong one, for the loving one, for the one who is doing this in your life. This kind of faith transforms you into a sharer of good news instantly. So how can we grow in this? How can we deepen in our trust of Jesus? How can we grow in our experience of his affection and understanding his protection in a more powerful way? First thing I would say, and this is like, these are not revelatory things. They've been given to us as steps and processes to take that are thousands of years old. Uh, the first thing I would say is it's all in how you look at things, Right? And I'm not talking like, this is not some power positive thinking, new age, attract the world to you, woo woo kind of stuff. What I mean is, you've got to renew your mind in such a way that you begin to see things the way scripture sees things. And I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. What I mean is you see the world around you for what it really is, which is this place where God is actually doing stuff. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, because he has the mind of Christ. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Let the word renew your mind. Listen to scripture in the car. If, if, I mean, like, I've got a Bible app that I can pull up the verses I want, press play, and it'll play forever. I can just listen to the whole Bible over and over. It's like this stuff is out there, and I'm on the train for an hour anyway, so I might as well be doing something constructive instead of playing words with friends. I'm a terrible speller, so I never win. <laughs> Listen to songs that edify you in this way, right? Like, let it sort of like change the lens on your eyes so that the world you see makes more sense inside of the gospel. Secondly, and in my life this has been very important, I want you to keep track of the victories because what you focus on is what you see, Right? Keep track of the victories because what you focus on is what you see. I keep a journal with me and I have since I became a believer because that's when things stopped making sense. And then like, they just literally stopped making sense. So I had to write them down, right? And I have over a decade worth of journals now where I can go back and I can see like where God told me to do something and then later when he made it happen or when, when I wanted to know, when I wanted to know what church I was supposed to be at as a newly married couple. Like, and then I can see me asking God, how does, how does this play out? And then him answering, right? Uh, when I wanted to know, before that, when I wanted to know who I was supposed to marry, boom. Like he, he answered that. When my wife was in the hospital and she was sick, he, he answered that, right? Like, I've, got, I've got my own book of acts, right? 
the book of God's acts in my life is now uh, decades of pages, thousands of pages I can go to at any time. Keep the stories of God's victories in your life close at hand. Let them be an encouragement to you because when the next wave of trouble comes, you'll be able to look back and go, oh, he does this in my life. He saves me from moments like this, right? And then you've got something to share. You've got stories to share, not just with your community, but with strangers as well. Because when you share your testimony, something really remarkable happens. You, may, you, you might feel like you're just sharing a story about what something cool God did in your life. But really, you're declaring the resurrection every single time you share a testimony. God did this in my life has a preface to it which is God, the creator who cares, made all things, sent his son who gave his life for me so that he could ascend to be at the right hand of the father as my advocate and then send his spirit to live inside of me to guide me through stuff like this. And then this event happened in my life. Every time you share your testimony, it's powerful because it declares that Jesus is real. So if you're sitting here today after hearing all of this and there's this shifty little voice in the back of your head or in your heart somewhere that says, well, oh yeah, well then why doesn't God answer my prayers? Or if God really cared, I wouldn't be in the trouble that I'm in and I wouldn't have to be working so hard to get out of it. If that voice is there, that is the voice of your enemy. That is the one who can only breathe deceptions, right? That, that you even hear that voice is proof that there's a positive on the other side, right? That there's another voice saying, I'm an answer to you. I'm a safe work to you. I'm a guard to you. I'm a strong tower. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name, when he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in times of trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Church, stay close to God. Trust in him. He will do it. So I'm going to ask the band to come up as I close in prayer. And while they play this next song, a song we all know, let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Let let the Spirit of God soften your insides. If you have trusted yourself or your own power over the power of Jesus, come and bring that before God today. Let the Spirit of God soften your heart and show you that Jesus is the answer, that he can carry your anxieties and he can do it with ease. And that he is a good father that can and will take care of you. And our our prayer team is gonna be available to you. If you would like to pray with someone, if you just wanna stay where you are and pray, you can. We're gonna sing a few verses of tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.